Welcome back to They Talk Sex Podcast. I'm your host, Elle Stanger. This is the Sexual Freedoms episode. We're going to be talking to our guest, Susan Wright, who is the executive director of the National Coalition for Sexual Freedom. Uh, You can look them up yourself. We're going to talk to Susan and learn more about what they do. The website is ncsfreedom.org. Hello, Susan. Hi, how are you? I am pretty good. I did my coffee and 45 minutes of staring um, off into the distance this morning. (laughs) I think it's stress. Uh, This is coping. (laughs) It's a very stressful time. Mm -hmm, Indeed. So how did the National Coalition for Sexual Freedom begin? In what year? We started NCSF in 1997. And uh, so we're celebrating our 25th anniversary this year. Mm, Happy, happy. We started uh, because of the discrimination that we were seeing in our communities back in the early to mid 90s. And there were a lot of educational groups out there that were teaching people how to uh, do BDSM, fetishes, consensual non-monogamy in a safer and consensual way. Mm -hmm. And these groups were being attacked and individuals who were participants in these groups were being attacked personally, as well as our events. And so we realized that we needed protection. We needed an umbrella, just like the sex workers umbrella, that protection idea. Uh, So we started a coalition so that all the groups could get together and authorize NCSF to speak to local authorities on behalf of the communities, to talk to local officials, to talk to the media. And mm-hmm. so the first five groups came together in 1997 to form the coalition. Wow. So discrimination against communities, so specifically people in the kink, BDSM, you said consensual non-monogamy or polyamory communities? Yeah, that is our focus is uh, consenting adults and it's alternative sexuality. So it's quite a large umbrella of different activities. And we find the work that we do really overlaps into other sex positive communities. For example, we help sex workers. We help people who are transgender parents or, um, Mm. you know, asexuals who are needing assistance with, you know, finding a therapist. So we really do focus on kink and consensual non-monogamy, but our resources are available to anyone. That was my next question. So I'm going to ask you, and we're going to talk about what more kinds of services um, NCSF offers, but examples of discrimination against people in these communities, like, do you have any quick examples? Because some folks live in parts of the country or the world where they can't imagine you know, someone like losing custody of their children because the parents might be in some like swinger community or or heavy like kink practice. Yeah, it doesn't even have to be heavy kink. It's yeah. It can happen to anybody who's kinky, anybody who is a swinger, who's uh, uh, polyamorous, anybody who's into fetishes. It there's There's all kinds of problems that happen with either child custody and especially if there's an intersection of issues. Uh, We'll see child custody removed either temporarily or completely. Mm. We also see issues with people being fired from their jobs. Mm. And I know that that seems like kind of crazy, right? But in in this country in particular, 
we, you know, anybody can be fired for anything. Mm-hmm. And so if you, you have a morality clause in your contract, they'll oh. fire you for being polyamorous, right? If you're a teacher right? And, and it gets discovered, you can get fired. Even if you're a retail, you know, cashier, Worker. right? Yeah, exactly. The, the company can say that it reflects badly on them if you've posted something on social media. Ooh. about kink or consensual nominality. Right. Yeah, you have to be particularly careful about social media because that goes much further than you realize. And mm. so if you're on there talking about your personal, you know, sex life or relationships, and it could be something just as simple as I'm going out with my girlfriend this weekend and my mm-hmm. wife, you know, next weekend. Mm-hmm. That can be enough to tip off somebody and we, the one of the bigger problems with this is we see that if you're outed in the workplace, even if you out yourself, what happens is that people start talking about you and they start sexually harassing the mm-hmm. person who was outed. And then that person gets fired for being a distraction in the workplace. <gasps> wow. So that's, I know, isn't that awful? So job discrimination, child custody discrimination, and that can happen, you know, before, during, and after you get your job. We also see issues where, you know, people who are just trying to get a therapist and the therapist is like, well, if you don't stop doing X, I can't treat you. Mm-hmm. Or you go to your gynecologist and they say, well, how many sex partners do you have and mm-hmm. are very disapproving. So it can seep into all areas of your life. Uh, housing. We see people who are trying to live together in, you know, polyamorous polycules the HOAs will get involved and tell them that they can't have that many adults in the house. Some really local regulations. Yes. Local regulations will say you can't have a certain number of adults. So there's a lot of ways that our personal private lives are governed still. So, and the, to go back to, you said like if a business or yeah, a business has, or a school has a morality clause, um, that's interesting because I bet in a lot of cases what the person is being discriminated against isn't mentioned or covered in a lot of discrimination, like anti-discrimination policies in a lot of institutions. No, like, it's really not covered. Sexual right. orientation and gender are covered, but sexual expression is not. Right. And so anything that you do, I mean, any relationship you have, sexual kind of relationship, um, it's not covered at all. And so institutions, governments, they're free to discriminate against you. Okay. So what kind of services do you offer through, like, if people want to contact you online? We're a 501c4, so we're more of a lobbying organization, but we can certainly refer you to attorneys that can help you. And that's where we're really helpful. We're kind of a resource gathering so that you don't have to go out and do all that legwork yourself. Mm -hmm. We can, you can contact us confidentially. We'll work with you depending on what your situation is. We have um, a large database of kink and polyamory aware professionals who are really just sex positive professionals. So we can do that searching for you. We also have private database of professionals that don't want to be public about the fact that they assist our communities mm. because 
they I might experience discrimination. discrimination. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, can you imagine that? But it's totally true for, yeah. you know, attorneys. Yeah. If yeah. they're in a law practice, the yep. other attorneys. Yep. Right? I've, I've so, heard it. I've heard it. Like, L, like, I can't let some of my other, um, I don't remember the word that was used. I don't know if it was peers, but basically, like, know that I work with people in your capacity. And it's like, ooh, spicy. <laughs> yeah, you know, and if the professionals can't even just serve our communities. Imagine about the people in our communities. So we do this mm -hmm. direct service. We help hundreds of people every year directly and not even just individuals, but groups and businesses as well, mm -hmm. because er we all need protection from discrimination. Mm -hmm. And we also have a ton of resources on our website that you can just access directly. Like you can access the kink and polyamory aware professionals database and yeah. search yeah, in your own area. We also have our resource library that has tons of information about consent and uh, laws that affect us, like assault laws, consent laws in each state. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it goes by state. Yeah, it's definitely mostly by state. When it comes mm -hmm. to these kinds of things, we don't have a lot of federal laws. Mm -hmm. So you have to, and as we're, we're discovering how fragile, um, our rights are it, when you go state by state. Um, mm -hmm. so yeah, you, you need to be aware of what the assault law, what the consent law is, what the sexual assault law is in your state to be mm -hmm. able to, to know how you're protected. Mm -hmm. And so you mentioned the kink aware professionals database. Uh, can you, so let's explain what that is because i've definitely been referring folks to it for years um i sent a stripper friend that way to look for a therapist uh, a couple weeks ago they said it went great can you explain the need for it and what it is first what it is and then we'll talk about obviously why there's a need i think that's fabulous i'm glad to hear that <laughs> so the kink and polyamory aware professionals is a just a free database you uh professionals can list themselves for free and I'm talking about any kind of licensed mental health professionals, life coaches, website designers, any kind of professional that you can imagine can list themselves for free. And then anybody can search it for free and find the kind of professional that they're looking for. It's really helpful because some of them are nationwide, like mediators can mm. often do uh, across state lines. Uh, if you have a job discrimination issue, sometimes you might want to talk to the attorney in DC who deals with it, who can recommend and refer another attorney in your area. So it's just this amazing resource. Thousands of professionals are listed. So the upside is that people choose to list themselves. They're saying basically like, I am a sex positive person. I'm, you know, probably less likely to have biases or like malice against people in these, uh, what's the term? Like, I don't know, not lifestyle. The alt sex yeah, communities. Yeah, because the, the lifestyle, some people, it's not their yeah, lifestyle. It's their life. just something they do occasionally. And quite frankly, there's, there's protections being in a community because we learn how to talk about it. We learn how to explain what it is we're doing for the millions of adults who are doing alt sex activities and they're not really accessing that consent education or the skills education. They have a much more difficult time explaining it to people who are vanilla, quote unquote, mm -hmm. you know, to, to authorities. Mm -hmm. So it, it's, we get a lot of people who come in and who've never accessed a community group mm -hmm. who find us online and because they're having problems. Mm -hmm. Right. 
So yeah, this is, it's so helpful because you just don't want to, like, if you're, you're trying to get a therapist, you do not want to have to go to a therapist and float mm-hmm. this <laughs> and see how they take mm-hmm. it. Um, because, you know, that discrimination, that stigma that can come back at you, if you, you get hold of a therapist who's not sex positive mm-hmm. can be damaged. Mm-hmm. Oh, totally. Oh yeah. I just shared what I learned recently. One person posted um, that she told her therapist she was going to go back to escort work because she needed the money. And her therapist said that she didn't um, agree with her like moral decision-making or something, something, whatever. So she was no longer going to see her, you know? So I think that's just so upsetting and right. And this is why people don't disclose, you know? Uh, exactly. And, and, and that stigma has real mm-hmm. impact on, on people. I mean, we have research on the LGBTQIA community as well as the kink and consensual non-monogamy community that finds that that stigma causes PTSD. It causes suicide ideation. Mm-hmm. People have intense shame around what they're doing that is completely just societal mm-hmm. based and has nothing to do with whether this is a good thing for you mm-hmm. or not, Di- digestive problems, insomnia. Um, let's talk about, I think what we're referring to is minority stress theory. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so studies originally around, yeah, queer communities about, wow, people often have serious, um, like mental and physical health impacts and like real consequences to their quality of lives based on a dominant culture that is threatening to them um, or unhealthy or unsafe. But then there's been expanded studies to my awareness um, because I started looking for stuff like this when I was looking for the impacts of horophobia. And it turns out you can apply minority stress theory to racism and horophobia, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Any kind of um, minority group it is under pressure from the majority. Mm-hmm. So what kind of opposition groups do you encounter um, being ED of this coalition organization? There's several different categories of opposition <laughs> groups. Uh, the yeah. first is the anti, anti-LGBTQIA groups, okay. uh, the groups that really kind of rose to prominence when they were fighting marriage equality. Okay. And these are groups like Americans for Truth about homosexuality or concerned, yeah, concerned women for America. Oh, Jesus. And they are just opposed to any kind of privacy rights for consenting adults. They want to tell us how we can have sex. Okay. It's helpful to have names of groups. Yeah. Things that I can look up later and ooh. Okay. So that's one category. So anti LGBTQIA plus groups. Right. And then there's religious what else? political extremist groups is what we call them. It's, it's, it's not just, you know, religious groups because there's plenty of religions that do support uh, alt sex mm-hmm. and are more sex positive. However, there are religious political extremist groups like the Family Research Council and the National Center on Sexual Exploitation, which actually used to be mm. called the Morality, Morality in Media. In media. <laughs> I hate them so much. I try not to get mad, but like it's it makes me like really like physically unwell to like go on NCOSC's website. Uh, it oh is God. and i've seen i've seen maybe you've seen this but i've seen people in uh social work groups refer to 
like trainings or webinar, you know, trainings, webinars or materials from that organization. And I'm like, wait, wait, they're anti-sex work, which means they inherently contribute to some of the problems that sex workers or survivors of sex trafficking experience. And yet people like don't seem to understand that. I'm like, no, they're anti-porn. They're not anti-trafficking. They're anti-sex. So frustrating. <laughs> they're they're anti-sex. anti-sex. Yeah. They just, and it's so sad because, you know, they changed their name so that they could draw people mm-hmm. in and everybody's against mm-hmm. sexual exploitation, right? But exactly. it's just, they're not, they're really against sex and sexuality. That's right. um, like anti-choice people going with pro-life. They love being called pro-life. Stop calling them pro-life. They're anti-abortion. They're anti-choice. More people die when abortion is criminalized Absolutely. so they're not pro-life i just saw that it's a misnomer uh, the the leading clause for for death for women young women 15 to 19 is pregnancy uh so it's oh kind God. of misleading to call it pro-life when it's causing mm-hmm. death um mm-hmm. and i think exactly and they love that misleading and i think that tra- you know transitions to like the third big category of opposition mm. is these right-wing political groups. They advocated for the overturning of Roe. They want to bring down Lawrence v. Texas, which ensures privacy rights for consenting adults. So these... Oh, that was the anti-sodomy one. Mm-hmm. In 2003, that was when it was no longer a crime basically to do anal penetration, but that law pretty much exclusively targets like gay men. And kinky people. That yeah, and kinky people exactly because that law really does address privacy rights for consenting adults. A lot of the work that we've done since two thousand and three rests on Lawrence v. Texas, including oh the work God. we're going to talk about later um, that we did with the American Law Institute to help revise the model penal code on sexual assault. So Thomas signaling that he wants to get rid of this, it, and that may be the first one they go for. Because it is known as the the sodomy, anti-sodomy law. It really is so much broader. It's about any sort of, you know, consensual sexual conduct between adults. And mm-hmm. we, the last thing we want to do is have that Supreme Court decision overturned. Mm-hmm. Ooh, okay, so those are the three main opposition groups. Are there any more that you can think of? I think that's kind of the big bulk ones. I mean, yeah. sometimes we get like opposition from within groups or within the sex positive movement. You know, we're not a cohesive monolith. It's not like every LGBTQIA plus group supports sex workers Mm -hmm, or supports kinky people. But that's minor in the grand scheme of things. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'm glad. It's nice to hear you say that we can look like bigger picture because there's always going to be infighting everywhere, no matter what or who we are. Um, so we can't let this, that distract us from the powers that be. So anti-queer groups, religious political extremist groups, and right-wing political groups. Interesting. They're all like paternalistic, like patriarchal, uh, kind of based in religion, like Christian, like fundamentalist stuff. Absolutely. When you go to their website, you'll see heavy, heavy on on pushing their form of religion on other people. So I asked some of my social media followers, I'm on Instagram at stripper writer, uh, still, I believe. And then also we have a little meme page at they talk sex podcast on the gram. 
So I might be shadow banned, who knows? So I asked folks there, I said, what sexual freedoms do you worry about losing in your lifetime? So, okay, I'll read you react. Um, someone says contraceptives and ability to decide if I want a child. Yes, <laughs> oh, <right. laughs> totally at risk. Yeah. Someone says being able to sleep with whoever I want in the kinky ways that I want. That is at risk because that the underpinnings of consent to kink come from Lawrence v. Texas, which is at risk. Mm -hmm. Someone says making porn or porn related content as a hobby and still being able to get a quote regular job. At, totally at mm -hmm. risk. Oh. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Background <laughs> checks, especially oh. with that. What's it? Not deep fakes, but what's the thing where like bots, they can like scan for your face. Oh, yes. Yes. The facial recognition. Yeah. Facial recognition technology. Like, yeah, I'm all over the internet in embarrassing ways. <laughs> someone says, huh, someone says, I'm a straight man, so I can't imagine any. <gasps> Ooh, <laughs> wow. Well, this is going to affect straight men as well as everybody else the yeah, most privileged yeah. person in the country i mean and i think that's one thing that we see with the, this kind of discrimination it does affect straight white het men you know hit mm. all those the peak who privileged individual in america mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. we get requests from them and they're shocked shocked that they're being mm -hmm. discriminated against i think once it happens to you you realize this this there is a bigger issue and it may be one reason why there's some blindness from some more privileged people. It's very hard to see past your own privilege. Mm. Uh, someone says the right to privacy of my own home. There are ghost laws on the books in Virginia. I don't know what that could mean. Well, there's laws that when, for example, when Lawrence v. Texas overturned uh, the sodomy laws in the States, they said all these sodomy laws on the books no longer can be enforced. Well, they're mm -hmm. still there. So just like what happened with Roe when Roe was overturned oh. by the Supreme Court, suddenly these laws that were still on the books take effect. Wow. How does that relate to trigger laws? I remember hearing that word. It's similar. Like trigger laws um, are often put into place with the idea that they will be triggered if this is overturned. And, you know, okay. these are big giant campaigns that are running. This is not happening by chance. People are picking right. which court cases um, they're backing, which groups are, which uh, political movements are. And they pick the right cases to go to the Supreme Court to, you know, they fight it all the way up there so that they can try to change things. And they knew this was the op optimum mm. moment right. to do this. Right. Ooh, I'm learning a lot. Okay, so let's do a few more of these. I asked people, what sexual freedoms do you worry about losing in your lifetime? Someone says, my birth control. Why are women being punished for having sex drives and not men? Uh, someone says, I'm worried that at 30 plus, I can't be sterilized without a long-term partner. Yes. Huh. Someone says... Uh, sterilization as a choice. They worry about losing that. Uh, they worry about losing self-defining what counts as sex and having multiple partners or none. Mm. Someone says they worry about losing the sexual freedom to have same-sex relationships and the use of AIDS. 
Like toys oh, or? Yeah, like dildos. For example, yeah. there's a law in Texas, infamous, that you can't ha- <laughs> own more than a handful of dildos. <laughs> Six. Six. And so like, okay, so we laugh and like, I can't imagine because that went viral. I saw that screenshot and it went viral and I was like, yeah, but I can't imagine that's really enforced largely. But then I like, so, okay, so what if you're in like a custody case and you know, like one parent wants to take the child from the other and they're like, look, mommy has eight dildos. Like, therefore she's obviously like, could that be a thing? Absolutely. That could absolutely (sighs) be used in a a divorce custody case. It also is used against like the people that go around do like little house parties where they sell sexual aids so if they have you know a bin of different dildos it can be used against them i feel like physically nauseated right now ah so this is why i stare off in a distance for a while okay so let's take a break so that i can decompress and susan can get some water if she needs um so look up ncsfreedom.org Uh, This is our guest, Susan Wright. She is the executive director for the National Coalition for Sexual Freedom. And find me, your host, L. Stanger, at lstanger.com. Phew, summer is here and my vulva is sweaty and itchy and a little irritated. So I'm going to use the salve from Momotaro Apotheca and maybe take a nice cool bath with their oil as well. Try Momotaro Apotheca or Oshihana products. That's O-S-H-I-H-A-N-A or Momotaro Apotheca, M-O-M-O-T-A-R-O Apotheca.com and use my Instagram handle, stripperwriter, for a discount. Welcome back to They Talk Sex podcast. This is the Sexual Freedoms episode. Our guest, Susan Wright, is the executive director of the National Coalition for Sexual Freedom. So let's do some listener questions. I told Susan on the break that I am learning a lot and I'm also painfully aware of why times are so stressful because this is not the future I was promised as a child in the 90s, I will say. I'm 35 years old and I really, really worry about what my 10-year-old is inheriting. It's so scary. Susan, okay, we're going to do listener questions. Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. All right. Okay. So listener question one, What are some of your memorable undertakings or actions at the NCSF or in general? Uh, Just a reminder, it started in 1997, so it's been a while. So 25 years. Yeah, we have done a lot. You know, we we do media campaigns. For example, when Fifty Shades of Grey hit, we did a giant Hmm. media campaign to to tell people what the truth about kink was. And it was extremely successful. It changed the way the media discusses kink. And they started focusing more on consent and negotiation. And the fact, yeah, it was fabulous. So we do lots of media campaigns around that. For example, you probably noticed a ton of polyamory articles in the past few years. That's Mm -hmm. something that we're encouraging and participating in by giving hundreds 
if not thousands of interviews over the past 25 years. So we really try to change the way society views our communities. We also work with the institutions that are kind of gatekeepers. And sometimes we have to change things. For example, with child custody, in 2008, we had 124 parents come to us for help. That It was demoralizing. It was horrible. And we realized wow. the, the giant extent of the problem. And it by talking to these people, we found out what the problem was. It was family court judges opening up the American Psychiatric Association's diagnostic manual and pointing to it and going, see, you know, sexual Mm -hmm. sadism is a paraphilia. And it says you can have another paraphilia. If you have one, that means you could have pedophilia. That means we're taking your kids away. Mm. And people couldn't fight back. So what we ended Mm. up doing was going to the American Psychiatric Association and working with them when they were revising their diagnostic manual and providing information from our research and feedback on, you know, from our incident reporting and response where we had all this data and they changed their diagnostic manual. And they made, yeah, it was great. They made like a differentiation between the consensual paraphilias. Paraphilias are just unusual sexual interest. And they're really not that unusual, I have to say. Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. we've seen prevalence (laughs) surveys that found 30% of Americans do spanking when they're having sex. So it's not that rare, right? No, certainly. What they did was they said, you know, people who are kinky are mentally healthy as a whole. And what happened was since since that time when they made the change in 2013, we've seen our child custody numbers go down until we had 10 requests last year. Wow. So we can definitely, as a grassroots, all-volunteer organization, we respond to the needs in our community. It's not like we're out there kind of going off in our own direction. We have 140 groups and businesses that are in our coalition, and they tell us what they need. So we listen to them, and we can, even for a a grassroots all-volunteer organization, we can make big changes. That is massive. The DSM, that's fantastic. It was. My heart. I feel way better than I did before the break. (laughs) (laughs) You can fight back. And you know, you don't need a ton of money to do it. You just need to all work together. Mm-hmm. Hmm. More people should listen to this episode and they won't, unfortunately. Um, the right people, the right people are listening. There we go. Uh, listener question two. Okay. So someone says, I noticed that NCSF is presenting at the American Psychological Association convention upcoming this year. What kinds of things do you do with the APA? At the APA, we're really excited because we'll be exhibiting in Minnesota at their big conference in the first weekend of August. And we set up an exhibit booth and we give away tons of information to these professionals. We sign them up on our cap list so we have more professionals in more areas. We Mm -hmm. give them information about consent to kink and consent to consensual non-monogamy so that they can help their clients. Because a lot of these people are not attending kink groups They're going to a therapist and saying, I want to try this. And we have to educate the therapist on how to do it correctly. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that. Yeah, it's definitely, we have to pass this information on. So that's what we do. We do the presentations. We, We do a lot of exhibiting at professional conferences. When a group or an individual donates to NCSF, 
that's where most of our money goes is to sending volunteers and sending our materials and printing up our materials and paying for these exhibit booths, which are really expensive because they're used to Mm. pharmaceutical companies. Right. (gasps) Oh my gosh. Wow. Okay. We were the only exhibit at the APA two years running right before the pandemic that dealt with sexuality. The only one. Wow. Wow. Psychological association convention. (laughs) Okay. Now I want to cry again. (laughs) So something I want to point out, um, is that what I, I have learned is, and this has been mentioned multiple times and maybe you've also found this to be true, but mental health professionals and medical professionals or legal professionals, when it comes to an intersection of their work and sexuality, if they don't have any training or literacy on issues that are otherwise unfamiliar, um, they're going to assume that what they know is probably real <laughs> or the case. Because that's what I think people tend to do. Like, what's my reality? Or I've been raised to believe this, therefore, this is what I think. And they need to have supporting materials. Yeah, definitely. Otherwise, they're just reinforcing the stereotypes, which reinforce the stigma. And we see that this works. I mean, back in the early aughts, we did the same thing with law enforcement. Um, It was, there was something called the alleged domestic violence call. So if, if somebody overheard you having a scene, they would call the police, the police would show up and they would have to arrest somebody according to domestic Mm. violence laws. So we did a ton of education of law enforcement around the country and that pretty much disappeared. What disappeared? These arresting people for consensual BDSM. Uh, Yeah, we taught people, we taught our communities how to talk to law enforcement, let them separate you, explain that you're kinky, show them a book, show them a pamphlet from NCSF or your membership card from a group. And yeah, and we explained to the police officers, if they can explain this and you ask the bottom, did you have a safe word? Could you stop what was happening at any time? You know, have you been seriously injured? You know, if they say, yeah, I'm fine, this is consensual, then they would not arrest. Wow. So I didn't understand at first what you were saying. So like if neighbors heard like a tussle or something and they called and cops show up and they're like, and usually the person they arrest is the one that doesn't have injuries because it's if someone has injuries, you arrest the other person who gave them the injuries. Um, yeah. And that would just be like kind of required, like, sorry, we got to take someone and like they have bruises. So <laughs> we're taking you. And wow. that was a huge problem um, in our communities for a while. So we, we did manage to affect that and to change that. So if we can speak wow. out and we have the support of a large number of groups and businesses in our communities, it, we can make a difference. Dang. So, okay, listener question three. What can I do as a person in a blue state to support right to abortion in a post-Roe v. Wade America? So I assume they mean as a person in a blue state, they mean a place where abortion rights still exist. Right. And that's a very good question because we're all wondering what to do. Um, First of all, I think support Planned Parenthood. Support these Mm -hmm. organizations that are organizing the fight for the right uh, to abortion. I think that's very important that we, we support them monetarily right now when we can, or by volunteering. These groups are also have volunteer positions that you can take part in. 
for example, when NCSF heard about this, what we did was we posted an action alert that told everybody where the protests were happening in their area. Mm. And all you have to do is show up and be there and be visible. Uh, it's very important to show the fact that there is opposition to this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You can also encourage your legislators to pass bills that assist people who are coming in from out of state to access abortions. Um, I think that that's important that if we're talking about states' rights, we should have the right in a blue state, so-called, to mm -hmm. have clinics that can serve anyone who is from this country. And they're trying to shut that down now. Ah, mm. oh, that's wild. Okay, so good advice. Uh, yay, Planned Parenthood. And vote in your midterms too. Vote in your midterms. Uh, this is gonna be, the midterms are gonna be a kind of a referendum on what's happened in the Supreme Court versus Biden. And so we have to make our voices heard. Hmm. Okay. NCSF actually has on our website under our allies, it's called kink the vote and it's a way you can register to vote. I love that. Thank you so much. <laughs> uh, okay. Last question for now. What are some of the justifications that courts or social workers slash systems will use to disrupt families that are kinky or polyamorous? Have you seen that happen? Yes, uh, we are like we were able to track down what the problem was with the kinky parents. They were flipping open the DSM and pointing to it. We have discovered the same source um, issue. There, there is a, a source issue that's happening with polyamory parents. Mm -hmm. uh, courts will base their opposition to multiple adults in the family based on the fourth national incidence study of child abuse and neglect. And it's a report to Congress. And they'll point to that that says 2.4%. So less than 3% of child abuse is committed by a partner's intimate partner. And 3% is by in-home step parents. So they point to that and say, because there's this tiny <laughs> statistical chance, um, and that's not even like polyamorous partners, which we do a lot more talking about consent mm -hmm. and are much more mindful and thoughtful about how we go into our relationships. But they use that as a reason for removing custody. And when you compare it within the same study hmm. to um, abuse by, committed by other family members, it's 3.6%. Twice as many foster parents, like 7% Gee. commit abuse. And you don't see them trying to you know, eliminate the foster system because of this. Yeah. So we are, we are trying to, we provide a, a fact sheet that for non-monogamous parents that have all the information that you need to give to your attorney to combat this kind of nonsense. Mm, wow. I am learning so much. Uh, some people are just blown away. I'm sure they're like, I had no idea in my country, this stuff could happen. Uh, so the website again is ncsfreedom.org. Uh, one other thing is uh, many states have in their uh, laws to use, that they have to use the best interests of the child. 
And often in the best interest of the child, there's different things that they cite, like you need to have a, a room for each child. You need to have a job. You need to have a stable home. And also some of them mention morality. Mm-mm. And that can be used to remove children from anyone if the judge does not agree with your sexual lifestyle. So even the each child, like their own room to each child, that's just not, first of all, that's not realistic. And also that's classist. And like my mom had three siblings and they all slept in one bedroom. And that was like quaint and old fashioned the way she told it. So like, how is that not good enough now? (laughs) I don't know. You know, it's very classist. And remember I said the intersectional issues. Mm. If you have a job, but no car that can be used to keep child custody away from you. If you haven't been in the home for longer than, you know, six months, sometimes it's a year, Mm. you know, it really, really put the burden on the parent to establish what they call a stable Mm -hmm. foundation. Mm -hmm. But yet many parents don't meet those kinds of so-called standards. As you say, Mm -hmm. you can have a, a wonderful home where you have three kids in bunk bunk beds in a room and it is fine. Mm -hmm. But if you draw the attention of the authorities, Mm. suddenly you have to toe the line. You have to take the psych exams that they want. You have to let them look at what at your home to evaluate your home. It's, it's really awful. If I lived in Texas, I would be in serious danger because I have dildos decorating my house and like a stripper pole <laughs> and... Um, you would be. They would come in and they would say, this is, you can't have this. And they would, they can even tell you that you have to stop seeing somebody in your, in your relationship. Well, you can't have them around the kid. Uh, so that means you can never see that partner when your children are home. Okay. Oh, America. (laughs) Okay. I know. It's wild. Yeah, that's nuts. Okay. So thank you for casting a light on so many problems that I really appreciate you folks working on. Uh, You said, what was it, like 124 cases and then to like 10 with the, yeah, after like. (laughs) It has dropped exponentially and that was with kink education yeah and you know what we ended up doing was uh i wrote a paper that was published actually several papers that were published to document this what we call institutionalized discrimination Mm. okay well thank you so much for your work susan let's take another break um if i was still a drinker Making this episode, like, okay, I love the work that I do and I do with like that I'm doing with you right now. But also like talking about this stuff can be so triggering because it's like, you know, it's the people we care about or love or it's us that we're talking about. That are It's very difficult. Uh, we've had volunteers, you know, at these professional conferences and I've seen them down behind the, the table crying. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. because it is just so impactful and mm-hmm. and it's it's difficult i mean you have to have the heart of a warrior and the skin of a rhino mm-hmm. <laughs> to be able to mm-hmm. keep going through this mm-hmm. and then you gotta still be able to like have your beauty naps and moisturize your rhino hide in between i know, but, <laughs> you know the juggle is real Hey 
Hey Elle, where did you train to be a sex educator? I went to instituteforsexuality.com. If you do not need to be ASECT certified, you can take their shorter program. It's new. It's called Sweet Sexual Wellness Education and Enlightenment Training. It's about half the price of their regular program and you can do it at your own pace because it's all on demand. You can take it online. You can take one learning path at a time to make it more manageable financially. Go to instituteforsexuality.com and click on on-demand programs. You can check out their other classes too. Welcome back to the Talk Sex Podcast. I'm your host, Elle Stanger. Uh, We have a behind-the-scenes subscriber page on patreon.com forward slash strange bedfellows. Boobs and stuff that I can't post on Instagram. Uh, And then you can find my porn, actually, if you go to my website on laptop, lstanger.com, and the triple X in the top corner. I'm told you can't access it via mobile yet. Sorry about that. Uh, I believe in you. If you really want to find my porn, you'll find my porn. Um, Okay, we are talking to Susan Wright, the executive director of the National Coalition for Sexual Freedom. Hi, Susan. Hi. Hi. I already know that you're going to know the answer to the next question. I'm pretty sure. Uh, Are you familiar with FOSTA and SESTA? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Uh, So if so, yes. So why does it need to be repealed? It needs to be repealed because it's not doing what they said it was supposed to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are plenty of ways to fight child exploitation. And uh, there were plenty of websites that were serving consenting adults and were very vigilant about alerting the authorities if they saw anything and assisting them with locating these people that were posting this kind of material or were trafficking children or vulnerable adults. Mm-hmm. FOSTA-SESTA does not do that. Mm-hmm. And um, we, NCSF, we actually submitted a brief and a declaration in support of Woodhull et al.'s challenge to FOSTA-SESTA. So we are involved in that. And what we submitted in our brief is that we've gotten reports from sex therapists, from sex educators who've had their ads on social media deleted. Mm -hmm. They've had their videos, their educational videos deleted that, you know, were not sexually explicit at all. It's just because it was educating about sex gone. Mm -hmm. Uh, Their accounts have been deplatformed. NCSF lost our own Twitter account for six months last year. Wow. Yeah, you can read about it in our Twitter statement in our blog. Just go and search for Twitter and it'll come up. Yeah, and you know, we did everything we could to get our Twitter account back and kept getting these like form letters, form letters. And we got so frustrated that I went directly to Jack Dorsey. He was still CEO at the time. On Twitter. I know, I, I like, I just emailed him emailed him. And I said, this is crazy. We're an advocacy organization. We're almost 25 years old. Why are you deplatforming us? I mean, the things that we post on Twitter are media updates. It's articles Mm -hmm. about kink and polyamory and sexual laws. I mean, these are mainstream articles that have already been posted or links back to our website. Mm -hmm. So the next day, our Twitter was activated again. Oh my God, that's wild. He must, did he read it? I wonder if he read it. 
he must have he must have either a, an assistant read it and went, "Ooh, this is a problem. We shouldn't be doing wow. this because you're not supposed to stifle an advocacy organization." Wow, not a good look, right? But they gave it back to us immediately, good. and all I could think about is, what about the average person, though? Right. How, how could they get theirs back? Oh, I have so many friends that got kicked off Twitter because someone would, was either like scamming and pretending to be them and then like now they're blocked themselves or just like some something, some messy loophole or something. Um, or other people reporting. Or it. other people reporting. So FOSTA-SESTA, most of my listeners know what it is for – welcome if you're a newer listener. So in 2017 – these bills were presented, right, 2017, like, hey, this is going to prevent online child sexual abuse material and sex trafficking, and so we should pass this, and advocacy organizations and internet watchdogs and, you know, groups like you and sex workers themselves, we were like, no, 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 this is going to make things worse. They passed it anyway. Um, so something you said earlier about how there were there were listing websites that worked to do their due diligence, like if they noticed a minor being posted, right? Like uh, Craigslist, the owners of Craigslist. Um, no, not Craigslist. Backpage, I'm sorry. The owners of Backpage. They'd worked with, I think, federal authorities before to help bring down a couple. Yeah, of and Craigslist did too before they got rid of their personals. But it just became... They were attacked for it so much. They finally just closed it. So there's a famous photo that comes up uh, when you Google FOSTA SESTA. And it's the photo of, at the time, uh, President Trump signing it. And what's notable is there's a woman in pink. She's often in the photo wiping away a tear. She's a black woman. Um, so in the caption of a Washington Post article about it, uh, we learn that the woman's name is Yvonne Ambrose. Her daughter was 16 years old, but she died. She was involved in sex work. What's interesting about this is that FOSTA-SESTA would not have helped Yvonne's daughter. It would have prevented her listing from ever being seen, so they wouldn't have even known where she was. Um, I want to give example to clarify this. I had someone write into the show right after, about a year after Foster Sesta passed. And they said that it was their sister who they'd been trying to locate and they'd hired an investigator. And the investigator found some of her back page postings um, and they could see men that were working with her. And they were investigating those leads when Backpage was taken down. So they lost all leads and then the daughter actually did die shortly a while after, or the sister that they were searching for. So removing hosting websites where people may or may not be posting, whether they're consensually or working by coercion, like censorship kills people because it just wipes them, their existence off the internet when we need to find them. Yeah, it doesn't need to be in the shadows. It just needs to be, uh, it needs to be out with a bright light on it. Uh, because that's the only way to stop it. Mm -hmm. So um, what's happening on the dark web now is really frightening. Mm. What's happening on the dark web? Well, that's a place people can, can go to and um, access things that would be illegal if it was just posted out in public. Right. Um, right. And people use tour servers to hide their location. There's, it's just driven it underground where it makes it so much harder for the people, you know, the populace to help law enforcement stop this. 
-hmm. We all want to stop child sexual exploitation, uh, sex trafficking, human trafficking. But if ordinary people are not seeing it, they can't report it. Mm. Okay, so uh, Desiree Robinson is the slain daughter of Yvonne Ambrose, and she was not killed by her boyfriend who was posting her ads, but probably a client. So I'm looking up uh, to clarify. Um, yeah, so I just really, really wanted to point that out that FOSTA SESTA does nothing to help people who are actually looking for folks or, you know, people that need rescue. Because when you conflate consensual work or like the art or the studies of therapists or educators as forbidden, you've really made a big soup of sexually relevant material, some of it consensual and some of it not. And it's harder to, I think, pick things out of it. Uh, okay. So I'm going to pull up this page from your website. I'm looking at consent counts. This was an announcement on your blog, I believe, July 15th of 2021. I'm just going to read a little bit and then I want to ask you why it is important. The American Law Institute ALI has approved and revised Model Penal Code on Sexual Assault, which decriminalizes BDSM activities in connection with sexual penetration, oral sex, or sexual contact. So Susan, can you explain why this decision is important? Yes, this is another one of these big campaigns that we've run to try to change institutionalized discrimination. And uh, what historically BDSM activities, if they are involved in a criminal case, whether both are saying it was consensual or one person is saying it's non-consensual, historically in appeals cases, it's just been decided consent is not a defense, hmm. that it doesn't matter if it's consensual or not, BDSM acts are illegal. And that has Wow. put many BDSM acts like impact play, like spanking or flogging or uh, bondage where you're restraining somebody. That's put many of these acts technically into an illegal gray area. Mm -hmm. Now, as I had said before, we, we got to the law enforcement officers and they stopped arresting people for doing consensual BDSM. But what happened was because it is a legal gray area, kind of the pendulum has swung to where they're not even prosecuting alleged non-consensual BDSM acts because they point to this and go, well, it's all non-consensual anyway. What did you expect if you did kink? Oh my God. You were asking for it. Oh my God. So we've been helping hundreds of sexual assault survivors report to the police, um, try to deal with this situation so that they would they would prosecute people who, you know, started out with a spanking and then raped somebody, for example. Dang. And again, we found the source of this. The source of this is the fact that the model penal code on sexual assault, it's the model law that states base their individual laws on, that was created in 1962. Wow. And it is awful. So some states are far more progressive. Other states are back in the dark ages with, with their sexual assault law. 20 of them don't even have a definition of consent in their sexual assault law. Wow. So how are you supposed to figure out if it was consensual or not? Mm. So we worked with the American Law Institute starting in 2015. Our legal counsel joined and we were able to really influence the the definition of consent for general sex, and we help them create 
a new section called explicit prior permission for use of force or restraint in conjunction with sex. Mm -hmm. So basically BDSM. And so now we have this new legal framework in the model penal code. And certainly we're going to, we're already starting to educate, uh, you know, our communities, our allies about this. And the American Law Institute just gave final approval to the whole thing. And once it's published, you'll start seeing this more in the uh, mainstream media. But we'll start lobbying states to adopt it. But since the model penal code says that it's supposed to replace the outdated case law, we're already introducing this in cases. Um, all around the country. Yeah. So we're able to try to convince a prosecutor, don't go by the case law, go by this. Wow. And, um, and use this as a standard. It's being used in arbitrations. It's so it's something you need to know about if you're doing kink that you have to explicitly agree to what you're going to do before you do it. You can't tie somebody up and then go, okay, how about this? Right. Because, they're already in yeah. restraint. That's not fair. That's <laughs> not kind yeah, enough. They're already no. It's it's you're you're in subspace, or you could be triggered, mm-hmm. uh, but you're not getting true consent. So that's why we we say you know if you're kinky, you have to actually discuss it first. You have to talk about how intense it's going to be. You can't just say to somebody, "Oh, are you kinky?" Oh yeah, I'm kind of kinky. And then the next thing you do is you grab their throat, mm-hmm. which is what we see in this so-called rough sex defense mm-hmm. that. People are just like, oh, I want to do this. And then they just start doing it and they don't actually discuss it. They don't discuss the risk factor involved, which it's very dangerous to compress the neck. Mm -hmm. People die. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's actually a coroner's line item for uh, autoerotic asphyxiation for people doing it themselves. Right. And when, what we see is when uh, somebody does it to another person, they're charged with manslaughter. Mm -hmm. Some people commit suicide rather than deal with the repercussions we need PSAs telling people how dangerous it is. Oh and the fact God. that this has become kind of the default for like, oh, I'm kinky. And then suddenly you have a hand around your throat. That's not kinky sex. Yeah. Not in any way, shape or oh, form. God. So it's super important. I'm like thinking about if you'd accidentally killed someone doing this and then you get a manslaughter charge and then your option is like, well, I guess I'm going to die by suicide. Oh, what a nightmare short story that is. Mm-hmm. And it's just from ignorance. People, they hear about breath play or they hear about the choking game. Mm-hmm. You know, teenagers do it right. without any kind of sex involved. They just don't realize how, how extremely dangerous it is. And and it's other things that we do are not particularly dangerous. But if you don't want to get hit on the butt, you have the right to say, I don't want to be spanked on the butt mm-hmm. in any way, shape, or form mm-hmm. during sex. Mm-hmm. You know, I might like this kind of kinky thing. But none of that. Yeah, but that doesn't mean I like all of the things. (laughs) Exactly. And that's the problem. So many people think it's like a roller coaster. You opt into kinky sex and then you can't get off. And that is not true. You can stop what's happening at any time. Oh, yeah. We can go to Vanilla Town. Definitely. Anytime. Um, I (laughs) experience clients in the strip club will like reach for my throat and give my throat a little squeeze during a dance. And it's like, um... We didn't talk about this. And also at that point, I'm just in a place where it's like, I'm just going to keep maintaining until I start feeling a squeeze that makes me uncomfortable. And then at that point, I make a decision. And it's only been once in the last two years that I 
thought this dude was like actually going to do violence against me, but that is one too many. <laughs> yes, you know? that can be very traumatic. Yeah, it sure and can. it's so easy. You have no idea because there's plaque in your veins and, and just even a light squeeze can actually like loosen it and then you get a stroke. Oh, don't dislodge my plaque. Oh my God. Exactly. Okay. I'm learning a lot. Ooh, and my editor's texting me. Go away, John. We love you. Okay. So you've already given a ton of resources, uh, but do you have any books, websites, or speakers, anything you want to recommend for people to support um, about sexual freedom or education? Absolutely. Definitely check out our, our, our website. It's the best education about sexual freedom. Uh, there's not many other groups working on this, but we have a list of them under our allies. Okay. So, and, um, yes, and it's on our website. Dot org. Yeah. Dot org. Under who we are, it says allies. And you can go there and check out other groups, things like the Woodhull Freedom Foundation. Mm, love them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Association of Black Sexologists and Clinicians. Caris, mm. uh, mm. which is the community um, academic resource. Uh, Tashra, which is the Sexual Health Network, uh, Kink the Vote. If you want to <laughs> register to vote, um, and we we have yeah we have things that are both national and international. NCSF focuses mostly national, but because there's so few groups working on this, we do help international groups. We do have international board members and groups that are coalition partners. Oh dang! So people, you can perhaps get involved. So ncsfreedom.org. And then Susan, I ask every guest this, do you have any sex tips for our audience? Yes. Uh, (laughs) My biggest sex tip is talking. (laughs) Talk about it. (laughs) Talk about what you want to do. And you know, people are always like, oh, that's like so not spontaneous or it ruins the fun. It's like, no, I've been doing this for decades. Talking about sex is the best play you can do. <laughs> you may, can make it so sexy. This is what I would love to do to you. I mean, you can have a text string for weeks mm-hmm. talking about what it is that you want to do and how you want to do it. And then when you're both on the same page, it there is a different kind of intimacy and trust that happens. Mm. You're not having to fumble through those first few like trial and error, trying to figure it out. No, you've you've talked about fantasies. You've talked about what you enjoy. Mm-hmm. You found the common ground. Mm-hmm. And it's just super exciting. Mm-hmm. Uh, can do. Yes. I also have been talking and having sex for a while. <laughs> Uh, I appreciate all of your, I want to say, leadership and advocacy on these issues. Thank you so much, Susan Wright, for being here. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate the chance to talk about all this. Oh, yeah. I look forward to hopefully working with you on some things in the future. Absolutely. Yes. Everybody go to ncsfreedom.org. You can find me online, lstanger.com theytalksex.com please rate and review this podcast wherever you listen because that's how more folks find us until next time lots of us know to grab a towel when we're on our period for period sex but what if you could just get the layer try getthelayer.com because it's not just a sex blanket it's great for not ruining sheets bedding furniture Whether you're on your period, whether you're a squirter, whether you're just trying to be polite, it's black, it's discreet, you can get 10% off when you get thelayer.com and use the code L, 
E-L-L-E, all caps, my name. Try it out. Let me know how you like it. It is my travel companion. Getthelayer.com.